might be cooler with a park, I don't know, um, but uh, definitely uh, keep inviting your friends, it's great to see everybody here. Uh, quick announcements before we get into the lesson, uh, the Laurels is our, uh, uh, is our ministry serving uh, the, uh, the uh, elderly at the Laurels Retirement Home, that's going to be this Thursday at 6.15pm, see Larry, Larry can you raise your hand if you're interested in that, see, whoa, Goodness. See Landon, raise your hand, please. <laughs> Son of Larry. Great, thank you. Um, I wanted to say a special happy birthday to Miss Betty. <laughs> Love you a lot. It's also Maddie Hurst's birthday, so if y'all can reach out uh, to Maddie as well, and uh, definitely wish Betty a happy birthday. Uh, finally, there's a new members kickball game after uh, immediately following service. See Renika for that. There she is. There she is. Great. Um, and speaking of new members, we'd like to officially welcome uh, Richard and Keegan Sawyer and their three children. Um, they've uh, placed membership here. They moved from the great Northern Virginia Church of Christ. Uh, and we're getting forward uh, to getting to know them a lot better. And their kids who are the same ages as our kids. Amen. Amen. Yes. That's always special. Um, so go ahead and turn uh, with me to Acts chapter 3, verse 1. I'm going to be watching my time. And then I'm going to be preaching about how we shouldn't be watching our time. Amen. <laughs> Okay, so turn, uh, turn with me in your Bibles to Acts chapter 3, and I want to talk today about boldness. Come on, Bobby. And that's not really true. I don't really want to talk about boldness, because it's a great weakness of mine. If I could have my choice of what to preach on, it would not be boldness. Uh, but Drew gave this to me uh, as a challenge. I'm kind of a go-along, get-along kind of guy. I don't like conflict. I tend to care too much about what people think of me. Um, and there have been so many times uh, in my life when I should have spoken up, intervened, redirected the conversation, just plain done something other than stay quiet, um, and, I, um, and I didn't. I've had opportunities to talk about uh, Jesus, to talk about the kingdom of God, to invite people to church, to talk about forgiveness and right and wrong and everything else, uh, but I let those moments pass by out of fear. Maybe you can relate. The title of our lesson today is Bold in the Moment. Nice. Peter and John can relate. They had a three-year track record of saying and doing the wrong thing or nothing. Missing the point, abandoning Jesus uh, when it mattered most. But in Acts 3, they showed great boldness. And we're going to dig into this passage to understand how and why they changed. We're going to read this passage together. First, we're going to pray. We're going to read the passage together, and uh, we're, we're going to pray, and then we're going to segue right into it. And I want you to imagine this as if we were in a movie, okay? Again, I don't know about you. I think in terms of movies. I watch too many movies, and uh, that's kind of how I process stuff. Nice. So I imagine the scene. I imagine the camera swooping in. I imagine what the cut would be going from one person to another, what the music might sound like. So we're going to pray, and then I want you to imagine the passage that we read as a movie. Let's pray. 
Dear God, uh, Father in Heaven, we come to you today uh, in many different places. Uh, some of us have just moved here. Some of us are visiting for the first time. Uh, some of us have been here for a very long time. Some of us are coming off of difficult weeks. Some are coming off of weeks full of victory. God, I pray that wherever we are today, specifically in terms of boldness, uh, that you will, uh, God, that you will use this passage to encourage us, to help us to think differently, uh, to help us to be aware of the presence of your Son Jesus in our lives. It's in His name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Verse one. Keep your eyes closed. One day, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer, at three in the afternoon. Okay, we call this the establishing shot. The temple of Jerusalem is the beating heart of the city. It's the center of God's presence on earth. It's an enormous complex. So imagine the helicopter shot. So you see the entire temple complex. It's built on, uh, it's built on a massive raised platform made of stones that are tens or hundreds of tons, thousands of tons, cut stones. Multiple staircases on every side are leading up to that platform to a few gates. And inside that, and on top of that platform is a large open courtyard called the Court of the Gentiles. And people are funneling into the temple, going up those staircases to pray as they do every single day at three in the afternoon. And they funnel through the gateway into the outer courtyard. And then they funnel into another gate, into an inner courtyard. And then from there, a few of them funnel into, the, to, in, into a holier place, the actual, the actual temple building. So it's, it's concentric uh, circles, so imagine that. Big, big rectangles built out of stone, okay? So we have kind of like, it kind of looks, like, um, looks like, a, like, like the scene of a subway in a big city. People are funneling in through, through these big stairways, going up, up to the temple, and then through the gates, okay? And we have the wide shot, the high shot, you see the whole temple and the city around, and then we start zooming in. And we start zooming in closer and closer until we see two men out of this, out of this swarm of people walking into, the, walking into the temple. It's Peter and John. They're in this stream of people shuffling up the stairway. Looks like commuter foot traffic. Imagine that. Now in verse 2. Now a man who was lame from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. Okay, so we cut from Peter and John to the courtyard at the top of the stairs. There's a man who's dirty, he's bedraggled. His face is all kind of cut. He looks older than he really is, right? His friends, he's lived a lot. He's lived a lot of hard life. His friends place him at the gate separating the outer court from the inner court. It's a special gate called Beautiful. He's, they, he, they set him down on a mat to beg and then they shuffle off to beg somewhere else, probably a better spot. <coughs> He starts to call out to the people who are passing by He's walk there as they walk through the gateway. And he has one line that he says over and over again, as, as, as a beggar might do. Got any change? Got any change? Got any change, he says, probably in Aramaic. Verse 3, when he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. So the scene is Peter and John, they cross the gateway entrance. They've come up into the outer courtyard. They cross the outer courtyard into the gateway. They cross the gateway entrance and they hear him off to the side. The beggar calls out to them. He uses the same line he's been using over and over again all day, but only Peter and John stop. The camera cuts between their faces and his. You see his face? He's not expect he's you know, he's just saying his thing. He's in his routine. 
Peter and John have broken out of their routine. And they stop and they look at him. And the camera cuts and we notice this is a moment. Everything else fades out into the background. Maybe they'll do that trick where the camera zooms in and then the background gets blurry, right? You know that trick? That's what we're meant to be thinking as we read this passage. Verse 4, Peter looked straight at him, as did John. Then Peter said, look at us. So the beggar's not really looking at them yet. He's just saying his thing. And Peter says, look at us. So the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. I want to talk today about two ideas of time. Chronos and Kairos, Greek words. You might have heard this before. Uh, Drew preached on it a few, few weeks ago. The Greeks had two words that we translate as time into English, but they mean very different things. Chronos is where we get the, ter- the words chronological, synchronize. It means time that can be measured. All right? It took Peter and John X number of minutes to walk up those stairs, cross that courtyard, and get to the, and get to the gate. That's what we think of as time in our culture, right? Time, we think, of our, we think of our clock. We think of, what do we think of? We think of the sun rising and setting. Longer term, we think of the seasons changing, our kids getting older, changing jobs. They, they had that concept too back then. They thought of the temple prayer at 3 p.m., the ninth hour, nine hours after sunrise. So they had that, they had that idea also. Clock in at nine, clock out at five. I don't know if you can relate to that. Bedtime at 10, Lord willing. Realistically, bedtime at midnight. The idea that stress in your head where you need 15 more minutes to finish your assignment and you don't have it. Time is a thief. Feeling like you've been running five minutes late all week. I don't know if you can relate to that. That's kind of metaphysically the place in which I live most of my life. You can think about how church is supposed to finish at noon. But it's, you know, it becomes 10 past noon, and it's becoming to be a problem. That's chronos time. I am going to, yeah, just checking, just checking. <laughs> Kairos is the other word, the other Greek word that is, that's also translated as time sometimes, uh, but it has a totally different meaning. It means the opportune moment. Pirates of the Caribbean, Pirates of the Caribbean, Jack Sparrow, wait for the opportune moment. It's a burst in time that seems outside of normal time. If you're an athlete and you get in the zone, when LeBron, when when he gets the ball and you know he's going to hit that turnaround, fadeaway, three-point, falling backwards jumper, even though Jordan is better. We're going to go there. There's an ongoing debate that's tearing the men's group apart. Um, But, you know, when an athlete gets in the zone, he's not thinking of seconds. He's thinking of the here and now. That's right. He or she is thinking, I have the ball, and it's time. That's the time. All right, that's the Kairos time. When you're, uh, when, when you're at work and everything is, is making sense, you know, these concepts that you're trying to learn, and it just kind of starts falling into place and starts making sense, and you're on a roll. That's kind of like Kairos time, right? And you're, not, you're no longer thinking at the passing of the, of the clock. You're thinking, I'm on a roll. I got this. I can do this work. Kind of like that. Chronos time passes by the same as always. Nine minutes and 40 seconds. But our experience of Kairos time is anything but ordinary. I've I've played a lot of sports in my life. You you may have too. I've never played any of them particularly well. Maybe that's the case for you, maybe not. 
but there was a Kairos moment I had when I was in kindergarten on the soccer team. You might have heard of First American Bank soccer team in Arlington, Virginia. We were undefeated that year. Yes. Starting defense for First American Bank. The bank went under shortly thereafter out of a scandal. That was kind of funny. Turned out to be a front for these Arab businessmen who were like using it to launder money and... So, you know, it kind of put a, a tarnish on our, on our name on the soccer team. But anyway, we were undefeated that year. The right wing was a guy named George. He was the coach's son. And I played the right back. And it was my, it was my job to maintain position behind him. That's all I knew. I was a kindergartner, and I didn't understand spacing or passing or anything like that. And it might have only been for a few seconds, but I will never forget that moment when we got the ball. I think our center, our center midfielder got the ball. Jason, I think, and he was moving up the field, and George, my guy, started moving up the field, and I was like, I know what to do, and I saw the back of George's jersey, and I was aware of our whole team moving forward, and I started running forward thinking, I'm doing it. The team is moving, and I'm a part of it, and I will never forget that, that uh, weird Kairos moment. Wow. We're moving as a team. Blue Ridge men's basketball team. Hey, it's going to happen. Let's go. you got to start practicing. So at, at least with me and George, it was the right move at the right time. It was Kairos. Another time I was inviting people to Bible talk at Eagles Landing back in 2005. And one guy, Jason, he was sitting at a computer there, and I still remember that moment. I, I invited him out. We got to talking. And he, talk, and he came to Bible talk. And he started talking about his life and his struggles and his desire to get serious about his faith. And it was a Kairos moment for both of us. And I know that because he's talked to me later many times about it. He still talks about that moment when God intervened in his life and changed everything forever. And now he's, he's, he's your brother in Christ. He was baptized on, I think, Martin Luther King Day the next January. And so, like, just about every Martin Luther King Day, I get a call from him. Wow. And he married, he married our sister Gabby, and they have yeah. two awesome daughters now. Yeah. God changed everything forever. Wow. Have you ever had moments like this as a disciple? Maybe when you're in a conversation about faith, and you realize that the other person is genuinely open to the next thing you have to say, whatever that next thing might be, right? Have you ever had that, that, that feeling? Like, this matters right now. I'm not just reading off a script. I'm about, I can, I have an opportunity to share my faith. Not just, hey, we made a burn, we made we have child care, it's great. Like, this is a moment when I can speak and God can intervene. Or maybe when you're talking to another Christian about something personal. We have what's called discipling. When, when Christians get together and we disciple one another, we challenge and encourage and pray for one another, we, we read the Bible and pray, it's great. And sometimes during those discipling times, there's a moment like this where you're like, oh, I didn't know that. This person just shared something very personal with me, and it's, a, it's an opportunity, and I can't let it pass by. I've had those times. I think you have too. I've been on the receiving end of two very personal conversations from other brothers that shook me really hard. I wasn't mature enough to handle the first one. Um, I, I froze, deer in the headlights. Like, uh, uh, I am 21 years old and I can't deal with this right now, is what I was feeling. And basically the effect 
That was basically what I said. And I rebounded later and got back to him and said, look, you've got to get help from somebody who's qualified to help you with this issue. Um, and, uh, and then I realized later, in hindsight, that he was only talking to me because I wasn't experienced and I wasn't able to help him. And he only wanted it, I think, from what I can tell, in order to get over the guilt for a few minutes. But he didn't want help help. With maturity, those are the sorts of things we can realize in the moment and offer an appropriate biblical challenge. The second time, the second time I'd grown a little bit and, um, and I was a little bit more prepared and I was able to respond in the moment by saying, let's pray and try to give the brother some guidance. It maybe wasn't the best, but it was something faithful. And it's going to happen again to you and to me. Maybe it's a challenging, a, a challenging like crisis moment and maybe it's a moment of great opportunity, and maybe it's both. And my hope is that you'll be ready for it and respond boldly to seize the Kairos opportunity. In Mark 1.15, John the Baptist uses this idea. He says, the time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. John was calling his, John was calling his audience to say, this matters right now. Something is about to change, and it matters eternally what you do. We're going to get back to our text now. You still have it in mind? Yeah. With Peter and John and the beggar at the gate. This is a Kairos moment for Peter and John. They understand what this is, I think. The beggar probably does not yet understand what this is. The man's attention was on Peter. Our attention, 2,000 years later, is on this moment, on Peter. The man, the beggar, had an expectation of receiving money. And even if you haven't read this before, you probably suspect that something else is about to happen. It wouldn't get in the Bible otherwise. I'm going to cut back to Peter and John, okay? okay? Pan over to a tight shot of Peter. Okay? Camera's in his face. Zooms out a little bit, and you see his hand come straight forward, straight down towards the man. Verse 6. Then Peter said, Silver or gold I do not have, but what I have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. This whole passage, the ten verses, are written kind of as what's called a chiasm. Chiasm? Don't know how to pronounce it. But we start with a big opening shot, and then we zoom in and in and in and down and down until the middle of the passage, where he says, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. That's the central point of the passage. It's the middle of it. It's the, it's the climax of it. It says, this is what matters. What does Peter do in the moment? He could have walked by... Nobody would have said anything. Everybody else was probably walking by. Peter could have, uh, he could have stayed stuck in the repetition of Kronos' time. It's 3 p.m. I go to the temple now. I'm just going to go do that thing. Right? He could have gone halfway. He could have said, silver or gold I do not have. See ya. Could have done that, right? Could have done that. Sometimes we think that our money or our time is the only thing that we can give. It's the only thing that can solve problems, and we excuse ourselves from serving for lack of money or time or energy or what have you, fill in the blank. But Peter was having a Kairos moment where everything was falling into place for him. He was remembering the promises of Jesus, and he was trusting them in this new way for the very first time. We're going to see about that. John 14, 12. If you're still doing the movie, I love, I love in Passion of the Christ the, the flashback scenes where it goes back to Jim Caviezel's Jesus in, in happier times, where he's teaching the disciples. Yeah. Like, oh, I wanted that movie. I wanted that movie so bad. Where he's talking to his mother, where he's building the chair. You've seen that part. Yeah. Gotta see Passion of the Christ. So this is where, if we're doing a movie still, Peter flashes back and sees Jesus' face. 
And he says in John 14, 12, Very truly I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing. And they will do even greater things than these, because I'm going to the Father. Maybe another flashback, Matthew 28, 20, his last words, his last words to the twelve. He says, And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Peter remembers these words, or probably words like them. This is the third time that Peter has stood up after the resurrection to take on the mantle of leadership in the early church. The first time was in Acts 1, where he proposed that they replace Judas with a new 12th apostle. Crisis moment, you know, Judas is gone, he's committed suicide. The, 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 the other disciples are all looking to Peter, what are we going to do? He says, well, let's, let's, let's replace Judas. And he references a scripture, let another take his place. So he steps up and has the, has the appropriate move to make, the appropriate words. The second time that Peter stood up was in Acts 2, his bold public sermon at Pentecost. I was with the kids. I understand Drew did an awesome message on, yeah. on Pentecost. Yeah. Peter's boldness was, was striking. How Peter went from a bumbler, to, from, from a learner, to someone who was starting to master. He was starting to understand Jesus' words and speak them boldly. He was able to speak on how Jesus was the promised Messiah, and he called the people to repent. Drew preached on that. And now, the third time Peter's stepping up, he's taking on Jesus' ministry of healing. He'd seen Jesus do this many times during their three years together in Galilee. And he knew that it wasn't a trick, right? There was nothing to master. There was no, you know, flick of the wrist, you know? Be healed. It wasn't like that. There were no special magical words to say just right, you know? Maybe if you were thinking, there's no like, like that. No, no, no special thing. No magical words to say just right. If you get it wrong, he turns into a duck or something. No, no, that's magic. That's not real. It's just Jesus' authority. And when Jesus was on earth, he had authority to do amazing things. And Jesus saw it firsthand. It's like, oh, okay, so this is the real deal. Jesus is walking around doing these exact things. Going up to lepers and men born blind and men, men and women who were mute. And, uh, and just doing these things, just speaking to them, touching them, simple acts and simple words, healing them. And then, I'd forgotten about this, Jesus sent out the 12 apostles and then a group of 72 disciples, specifically with his authority to preach and to heal. That's in Luke 9 and 10. And apparently they had great success. So Peter had done this before, and he was in those groups, but back then he also knew that Jesus was just a few towns over, right? He knew, well, Jesus is still nearby. That's probably what's doing it. Or, you know, if, if, if I mess up, Jesus is just, you know, Jesus is just a word away and he can, he can do it, right? The source of the authority was close by. It's kind of like when my kids, five and eight years old, when they start ordering each other around, they have no authority over, over each other, you know? Luke tells Lydia what to do. That's pretty much a guarantee she will not do that thing. <laughs> um, but if Audrey and I are in the next room, and we've told them it's time to get ready for dinner, and then one of our kids tells the other, get ready for dinner, that does carry a little bit of our authority. Yeah. It's just a reminder. It's not like Lydia can command obedience from Luke, but Luke knows that it's mama and I can and we're one wall over. That's kind of how I think it was with Jesus still being on earth. Yeah. 
Okay? So it's, it's a different thing that Peter is in now. It's a different situation. Where are we? Come on, buddy. Um, yeah. Now that Jesus is gone, right? No longer visible. The question for Peter and John and the whole church is what kind of authority does his name still carry? Does it have any weight? Like, sure, if Jesus were here, and we think this too, if Jesus were here, he'd sort this thing out right now, right? If Jesus were here, this wouldn't happen. Peter's in his Kairos moment. He knows that Jesus died on the cross, his, but, Jesus, but Peter is learning that Jesus is just as present now as he ever was during his physical life when they were walking around in Galilee together. Jesus wasn't making empty promises. He really did mean that he would be with his disciples forever to the very end of the age, Matthew 28. He really did mean that he expected his disciples to continue his work, to be the body of Christ on earth. And in the case of the apostles, to prove Jesus' continued authority, this included miraculous works of the kind that of this kind of thing, right? Yeah. Back to the movie. Get a little hot. Back to the yeah. movie. It's good. It's good because it was hot then too. So we're, we're we're in the scene. It's hot and it was crowded and they were unwashed. Uh, you know, they'd all just kind of had ritual baths, but not like head and shoulders ritual baths. Not Irish Spring. Like it is a sweaty time. The beggar reaches up in response. The look on his face, I imagine says he can't believe he's going to try this. The guy just said walk. Well, okay, fine, why not try? Peter's a fisherman. He's got big old burly forearms. And, well, he's probably strong enough to pick the guy up anyway. So, okay, let's see what happens. Might as well try. The beggar's withered legs have never supported his own weight. They're probably curled up underneath him. But he reaches forward. He shifts his weight forward. And says in verse 7, taking him by the right hand... He helped him up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk. Then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. When all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the same man who used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful, and they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. The movie. The man jumps up so fast, he doesn't stay in the frame. We could go with, like, shaky cam or something. He's out. Boom. He pops up. It's not some sort of, oh, I can barely make. No. He's experiencing direct healing, the power of God. He's up. He's up like that. Peter and John stare at each other because they know what this means. Jesus is here. They might not be, like, as impressed and shocked by the healing They're thinking, Jesus is right here, right now. This only happens when Jesus is around. Now, camera finds him. He's kind of running around. Camera finds him and then opens up to a wider shot. Pans out a little bit. As the crowd continues to file in, remember they were all sort of faded out in the back. Now now we see the crowd again. and And the crowd is filing into the courtyard for prayer. The man's running around. He's trying out his new legs. He's making an embarrassing, joyful scene. The crowd starts to murmur, okay? They don't get it immediately. Maybe a few people recognize this guy. I don't know, if, if you ever go to the downtown mall, you might recognize some of the people who beg there. If you don't go to the downtown mall, you wouldn't recognize them. But the people who are there often enough say, oh, I know that guy. Isn't, wait, I've seen his legs. 
he wasn't faking for his whole life. This is the real deal. He's no plant. Right. Something has happened. And then the crowd starts to murmur, and they start to explain, and it goes out like a, like a wave. That guy, uh, 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 oh, what? And it goes out, and, and the excitement spreads. The camera keeps zooming out the same way it came in, climbing higher and higher. It shows the newly healed man running, jumping, praising God, and everybody else around him still walking towards the temple, but radiating out from him is more movement, more energy. It's not a bunch of people walking in a straight line. It's like this, and maybe some jumping, and throwing up the arms, and whatever cultural expressions they had of amazement. But there's energy and excitement. People realize God is here. God is with us. The crowd starts to jump with him. This was the sign that God used to confirm. Jesus hadn't abandoned his people, but he continued to be with them, knowing them and working through them. And as Peter preached in Acts chapter 2, this promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. You today are included in Peter's words. If you're a Christian, if you're a baptized disciple, awesome. If you're a Christian, if you're a baptized disciple of Jesus Christ today, I have a promise for you. That you will have a Kairos moment of decision, or crisis, or opportunity very soon. Maybe not very soon, but soon. They happen. It might be in the middle of your 9 to 5 Kronos job. It might be in the middle of your work day with a coworker, and you have that opportunity to share. It might be at home with your child, and you have an opportunity to teach and to discipline. It might be in a conversation with a brother or sister. It might be in some outreach or service opportunity that you never expected. But whatever it is, you won't see it coming. It might be in school. I'll, I'll throw this one out for the, for the teens. You guys aren't done with school yet. People start to change right at the end of the year. They might start to talk different, think different. Look towards the summer. Maybe they've been, maybe your peers, your friends have been so consumed with school that they haven't been open, and now they're starting to think a little differently. Maybe they're starting to think, hey, you haven't been acting like everybody else. What's up with that? And you'll have a Kairos opportunity. Kyra, you'll have a Kairos opportunity. Just saw you. Uh, yes. Got her. Um, you'll, you'll have an opportunity to share in a new way. Time will stop. And my challenge to you is to be bold in that moment. Amen. Speak Jesus' name. Too often we, I, probably, definitely I, probably we, retreat to safe, shallow waters when things get deep, right? Yeah. When somebody says something like, oh, I don't want to go there right now. Things, things get real. Let's back out. Let's talk about Game 7 of the NBA East Finals. I'll fall back. Maybe I'll fall back on my own wisdom. Or, oh, I read this thing on the Internet that kind of relates to what you're saying. Let's talk about that. You know, speak Jesus' name. Go deep. Mark 1.15. Again, the time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. John the Baptist. Don't be afraid to have that kind of urgency. That kind of in-the-momentness. If you believe that Jesus is with you, and if you're a disciple, then you can have full confidence to say His name, to speak biblical truth, and trust that He will work. Peter had no technique, little education. He was an ordinary, stubborn, hard-working guy who made a lot of mistakes and learned to trust Jesus. He learned from all of his mistakes. And he just, he just spoke what he knew was true. 
If you're not a Christian or you're not sure, I have a different challenge for you. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 2. Now is the time of God's favor. Now is the day of salvation. Let this, let this hot day be a Kairos moment for you here and now. Talk to the person who invited you out. Ask them to study the Bible with you. Ask them for the reason, for the hope that they have. That's literally in the Bible, and we're all supposed to be able to answer that question. Peter wrote that, actually. Ask, why do you have hope? What's different? What's different about your life? Be bold in the moment. Whether you're a disciple or not, pursue Jesus. Be bold in the moment. We get worn down when we think of bold, when we think that boldness has to be a chronos thing, chronos thing, every single day, day in, day out, 24-7, right? Right. This is what really struck me about this passage. We get worn down when we think that boldness has to be our job. Okay? I have this, and you might have this too, I can have this false expectation that the Christian life is supposed to be a 24-7 non-stop test of my faith and character, and that I have to be conquering the forces of Satan on an hourly basis. Right? We think that it's a we think that it's an all-the-time thing. Yeah. Yes and no. Yes, that the battle is real. Yes, that these trials and opportunities can come at any time. And sometimes they come frequently. Sometimes we are in a long, hard slog of a bad situation and it takes perseverance. But it's not constant, constant. Temptation is not constant. The the need to be bold and share your faith is not constant like time is constant. It's moments. It's a series of instants in which you can be faithful. Individual decisions where you can remember Jesus' words. Like Peter remembered Jesus' words. Surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Church, trust Him and act boldly in that Kairos moment. Amen? Amen. 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 Thank you.